It is so great to be uh, back with you guys. You know, every time I step away, I just I reflect upon uh, just the blessings. It is I'm thankful for you guys, and and I'm thankful for the team that God uh, has brought together here. I'm thankful for our pastors. Uh, Pastor Caleb did a, did a eh, pretty good job last week. <laughs> Give him about a B, but he did all right. Um, Pastor Dave is currently making his way back from Africa, even as we speak with Doug. And so thank you for your prayers for them. Pastor Kyle, um, very thankful for our teams, very thankful for our staff, full-time, part-time. I mean, it's, it's a cool thing to see what God's doing in the life of our church with the people he's raising up. And I look at this room, and it's the same thing. You know, there are many of you whose hearts are stirring, and, and I just would say stay sensitive to that. Uh, because God's doing big things here, and, and there's a lot of unknowns here. You know, Saturday service. Um, let me let me just ask. I was blown away at the eight o'clock. Let me just. How many of you would say, "Man, yeah, I might." You know, depending upon my schedule, go to a Saturday service. Raise your hand. You've got to be kidding me, really. We got to find a preacher for that Saturday service. <laughs> and so Thursday night, this Thursday night, we're going to do a couple of things, right? And it's before the tip off, and and that may have been planned strategically or not, I'm not sure it was. So at 6 o'clock this Thursday night, the game started at 7, I think 7.12, Chad, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully Carolina will be like 7.45. We'll see how that goes tonight. But anyway, the prayer event starts at 6. And so this Thursday night, this is what we're going to do, 6 to 6.55. And, and so what I'm asking you to do, why are y'all laughing? Why are y'all laughing? Oh, because it's not to 7, 6.55? Yeah, we're going to give you five minutes because I'm going to take that five minutes this morning. So 6.55... We're going we're gonna to start at 6. We're going we're gonna to worship together. It's going to be a very sweet time that we worship together. Then we're going to pray. We want to saturate this thing with prayer. What's led us to this place is prayer. Because I would tell you a year ago, if you'd have told me, yeah, we're going to do a Saturday night, I would have been like, get out of my face. Like, I can't even hear that. And the Lord has just continued to just confirm this. Now, there are major needs in this. And so on Thursday night, we're going to pray together. We want to saturate this thing with prayer. We want the Lord to lead this. We don't want to do anything the Lord's not leading. But then we got team leaders. We've got parking lot leaders, team coaches. We've got uh, first impressions. We're going to do something radical for our Saturday night service. We're going to serve coffee, and we're going to see how that goes on Saturday night. So you'll have coffee. And so this Thursday night, you've got your first impressions team will be here. Children's leaders will be here. We need help to carry this out. And we believe God is leading us in this. And so I challenge you, I know it'd be easy, Thursday night, I'll pray, prayer walk, I ain't going to do that. Come, worship with us, pray with us, and just be open, right? I mean, just, just, just be open to what the Lord may be leading you to do, not, whether it's attending or maybe serving somewhere uh, in the midst of, of a weekend worship uh, celebration. And so we're excited about that. And so this Thursday night, we'll do that, 6 to 6.55 is what it will be, and then um, the new members class, you know, we're going to do two weeks of a new members class. If you're like, man, we still haven't gone through that. Well, this Wednesday and next Wednesday, we'll knock it out. New members class, 6.30 to 7.30. And if you can't make those Wednesday nights, we'll come back on a Saturday. And Saturday, April 6th, 1 to 4, we'll knock it out. And so, again, just be open. I mean, God's doing big things here. And, and he's doing more than just leading us to sit, right? I mean, there's seasons of that. I get that. But I know there are many of you out there, God's stirring. And there's something unique that you bring to the table. We may have gifts that are similar, but there's something unique because there's no one like you. There's no one with your story. There's no one with your struggles. There's no one with the journey that God has brought you to. So therefore, there are things you bring to the table that no one else brings, that God wants to use in you but through you. And so not only are you robbing the blessing of joy of of being in that and serving that, but others are being robbed of what God wants to do in your life. 
And so I've got two weeks of stuff to share with you guys. Y'all better be ready for me this morning because I missed last Sunday and I'm just going to be a fire hydrant and let's see how it goes. All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I'm excited, man, I'm excited. I see the people that God is gathering. And to me, man, God's done great things, but, but there's some big things in front of us. And it's not a physical building. That's a part of this. And we're going to see the foundation being laid in the weeks to come. Could be this week, could be next week. We're excited about that. But that's really, to me, that's not where my heart, that's exciting. But I'm excited because I see the people that God is aligning. And I see the people that God is raising up. And so just my challenge to you from this stage would be be open to that. Be sensitive to that. Be willing to take the hard step, right? Be willing to take the first step, not knowing what the next may be. But to say, Lord, I trust you in this. You're leading me in this. There ain't no way I can deny that, right? God has a way of confirming his leading. And just such hope, right? That is the word that has stuck with me. Before we get in our text this morning, we've done five funerals in the last 12 days. And to walk with families through these situations, like, of course, as believers, it doesn't mean we don't hurt the same way, right? And it doesn't mean that the pain's not the same. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn like anyone else. And the Bible says that. And so there's a passage of scripture that I've just continued to be going to during these, these funerals. It's the First Thessalonians 3, I think it's like 14, where Paul says, listen, let me inform you guys that, that, that we do not mourn. And then he says this, without hope, that we mourn. We hurt, obviously, when someone you love passes away, man, there's great pain. We mourn, but not without hope, because our hope is in a Savior. Can I get an amen? Amen? Eight o'clock, said it louder. Can I get an amen? Amen? Amen. So we have a Savior. There's hope in that, but there's hope in the now. Like, there's hope in the now, that in my chaos and in my storm, God has me here. There's hope in the sovereignty of God. There's hope in the authority of God. There's hope in the fact that nothing is wasted, that nothing is random, that nothing is a coincidence, that God is working all things. So there's hope in that, that regardless of what you walked in with today, there's great hope if you know the Lord because of the truths that are found in this book. Let's be real, man. The enemy casts the opposite. That Man, this is hopeless. Your marriage, hopeless. Your addiction, hopeless. Your struggles at home and work, hopeless. Absolutely not. Let's stand upon the authority of God's word that there is hope that we have a Savior who is sitting upon his throne and he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me give you some verses. I, got, I just got to spend some time in hope before we get to Luke 6, all right? Psalm 147.3, if you got a pen, if you got a finger, do what you got to do. Psalm 147.3, God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Anyone brokenhearted in this place? And my God will supply all your needs, not out of, but according to his riches, which are in glory in Christ Jesus. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.20, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Meditate upon these promises in your heart, for they are life to those. Listen to this. Life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Listen to this verse, Romans 15.13. May the God of hope, hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. May the one who is the source of hope Fill you with all joy and peace, but it's a conditional promise. Notice the next line. As you trust in him. It's available, it's there. As we trust in him. And that really is the summary of our passage this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, Luke chapter 6. 
As we're continuing in our series, Jesus, we're just walking through chapter by chapter. Caleb did a tremendous job uh, last Sunday. I'm very thankful for, again, the team that God has called here. We're going to go to Luke 6, and we're going to really spend our time at the second part of this section here, Luke 6, 6, verse 11. But we're going to read beginning in verse 1 because Jesus is dealing with something here. He's dealing with legalism. He's dealing with self-righteousness. And it's so amazing to me that you see this, these religious leaders, Pharisees, following him everywhere that he goes. They're seeing his teaching, his healing, his miracles. They're witnessing all these things. But rather in their heart pondering, man, could this be the Savior? Rather than that taking place, you know, could this be the one that we read about in the Old Testament? Could this be the prophecy of Isaiah 53 standing in front of us? Rather than doing that, their hearts are doing the exact opposite. Let's find an accusation against them. Let's find something against them. And the Sabbath was always, right? I mean, we go back to Exodus 20, verse 8. It's a part of the Ten Commandments. We know that it's the last commandment dealing with us and God. The first four commandments deal with us and God. The fifth commandment transitions to how we work with one another. I remember it by my fingers because this is the way I taught my youth group. Commandment number five, honor your what? Father and mother. Fathers and mothers. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Commandment four means the little thumb is sleeping back behind. He's honoring the Sabbath. That's how I remember right there. Commandment number four, he's, he's chilling back there. He's keeping the Sabbath. And so these Pharisees took the Sabbath and they made this long list of rules. You can't do this on the Sabbath and you can't do this on the Sabbath. Well, we know it goes back to creation that God created the earth in six days on the seventh day. He rested. And so ultimately the reason for the Sabbath was to rest, was to not work was to take a walk and enjoy the creations of God, was to spend time with our family. But these religious leaders began to write all these rules that if you open a door, you have to open it and close it with your right hand because if you use your left hand, that's work and you're breaking the Sabbath. And so rather than a day of rest, it became oppressive. The worst day of the week was the Sabbath because you couldn't do anything. And so here is Jesus as he refers to himself, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who gave the Sabbath, the one who instituted the Sabbath, and he's calling out these self-righteous leaders who are looking upon people with judgment. And when Jesus goes to the sinners and he calls out the religious leaders, and we see it play out here. Take your Bibles and stand with me if you would. The God of healing. I don't know what you walked in with today. But I wonder if you walk in broken, and then the next question I would ask you is, did you walk in with hope? Did you walk in today expecting God to do something in your life? That's a good question. Or did we just go, we got to get the family to church, and this is going to stink because we're going to fight, and we're going to be late, and the parking lot is going to be awful. I mean, was it that? Or did you walk in here going, you know what, God, there's things in my life that only you can do. I've carried it a long time. And I walk in with anticipation of what you're going to do as I hand it over. Watch what happens in this passage. This is us, man. This is a picture of us. Let's begin in verse 1. Jesus is dealing with the Sabbath with these Pharisees, but then we're going to really spend time in 6 to 11. The Bible says this. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain. I don't have the first five verses on PowerPoint, and we'll pick it up at 6. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. By the way, this was allowed. You go back to the commandments God gives to his people. It's interesting to go to the Old Testament. These, they're details of what they could do in other people's fields of grain. 
And there was a certain amount that they could take, so they're not breaking any law. And trust me, the God of law, Jesus, would have called them out had they been breaking the law. But these Pharisees are all up in the business, walking around, trying to find something that they're doing wrong. Look at what happens. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered them saying, have you not even read this? I love that Jesus is sarcastic. Like that makes me feel better about my sarcasm. Amber, I'm just being like Jesus when I do that. Sorry. Two weeks I've been gone. Y'all in trouble. All right, here it goes. What's it? But Jesus said to them, have you not even read? You act like you know the law. You act like you know the Bible. Have you not even read this portion as well as he said? That David, when he was hungry, and he, those who were with him, this whole story goes back to when David was fleeing for his life. He goes to the priest. There were bread that was set aside just for the priest. It was sanctified, but he was hungry. And so the whole point of the matter is someone's needs come before the principles of the law. That's what Jesus is teaching. Now he went to the house of God, took and ate the showbread, is what it was referred to, and also gave to some of those who were with him, which is not law for, for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath, here we go, watch this, that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. That's all we're told about this guy. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. How hard their hearts were as they stood in the presence of Jesus. You want to talk about fight you can't win, look at the next part. But he knew their thoughts. Can you imagine fighting with someone who can read your mind? That ain't fair. And said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And don't miss the next line. Don't miss the next line. Don't miss the next line. And he arose and stood. That's all Jesus asked him to do. Come to me. There's no conversation. There's no question. Come to me. Luke says he does. Then Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save a life or to destroy And when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out what you've been carrying. Stretch out what other people are judging you about. Stretch it out. Let it be exposed in front of everyone. He doesn't pull them off to the side. In front of all of these people, he says, stretch it out. Give it to me. Watch what I can do. This is us. What are you holding on to? And when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch it out. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. They were filled with rage. What a reaction to the work of God. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father. Well, our hope is in you this morning. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our church. Our hope is in a Savior. Our hope is in Christ. Lord, we know that there is the anchor of our soul. That the ups and downs of our lives and the seasons of our lives. And there are people this morning in a storm gathered here. They can't see their hand in front of their face because they're in darkness. And the enemy's lying. And hopelessness is an awful thing. He lies about the hopelessness of a marriage or a family or a situation. Lord, we rest in your hope. And Lord, in your hope, the giver of hope, there is joy and there is peace. And so, Lord, we claim that this morning, that in Christ there is joy and there is peace. And that joy remains regardless of where we're at. Lord, we take great strength in knowing that you have us, that, Lord, you're in control of this. There's nothing wasted. So, Lord, may we be like this man. May we be like this man. Not arguing, not asking for what, well, what does the next thing mean? 
just responding and surrendering to you. May you be glorified in this hour. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Y'all stood for a long time right there. I apologize. I stand you up to read scripture and then I talk for 20 minutes. I didn't mean to do that, but it was, it was great to, to honestly, I mean, it's been a while since I've been able to uh, spend time. Four Burris pastors is what it was in Florida. So it was my dad, my uncle, who was six years older than my dad, and my cousin, uh, cousin Spanky, who is the same age as I am. I give Shane, Spanky a shout out because sometimes he gets live streamed. And, and so what's up, Spank? Good to see you. And so it was, good. it was fun to hang out with those guys. I, he, I went to seminary with them. And so when I was in seminary, I would drive to Wake Forest, Raleigh, North Carolina, every Monday. Remember, Amber, I would drive. Every, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary this past week, by the way. And so, uh, awesome. Yeah, I want to say that. She deserves a trophy. So if you want to give her a trophy, give her a trophy. And so uh, we were in Florida, and it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, experience, over 120 years of ministry in the car. And yet to see the immaturity that was taking place amongst those four men, like I was, it was mind-boggling to me that I'm looking around these godly men and, and, and the goal was to try to upset my dad. Like that's the goal. Like for my cousin Spanky and Uncle Eddie, my dad's very calm, my dad's very proper. And so, right, Brandy? And so the goal is what? The goal is to kind of get him rattled a little bit. Well, guess who was driving the rental car? I was driving the rental car. And so the goal was to get him to say, son, like he yells son when he's upset. And on an on a entrance ramp by the Daytona International Speedway 190, I got a son out of my dad. And so uh, it, was, it was a great trip. It's, it's always a good thing when dad sends you to seminary and says, okay, he would, he would say two things. Stay surrendered. And we're going to talk about that. Stay surrendered. You sign your name on a blank contract. That's all of us. It's not just calling into ministry. If you're seeking the Lord, what does that mean? It means every day you're staying surrendered to where the Lord may take you, and that's scary. Stay surrendered, and there's next statement, don't get kicked out of seminary. That's what he would always say. And, and so it was, it was fun to be with those guys, but it's great to be with you guys. I look at this passage of Scripture, and I see me, to be honest with you. I see us. It's a picture of us. We're all crippled. We're born crippled, Right? I mean, we're born into the seed of Adam. We're born into uh, our sinful nature. We're crippled. And so what happens? We have to come before the Lord. And first of all, you got to recognize that you're crippled, right? And until you hand that to the Lord, until you hand whatever it is to the Lord, you're just going to carry it yourself. And so I see this passage of Scripture, and Jesus does an amazing thing. We see it in Matthew 2, 9 through 14. You can go to Mark 3 through 1 through 6. Matthew provides a little bit more detail. Luke uses the right hand as a physician, and again, no one else talks about the right hand. Matthew uses the illustration where Jesus says, well, what if your sheep falls into a ditch? You're not going to save the sheep? And then he says, well, isn't uh, men and women more important than animals? And so he's going right to the heart of these Pharisees that they had become so legalistic that their heart was not turned towards God. Their heart was turned to keeping rules and regulations. And it binded people. It didn't free people. And it allowed them to look down upon people. It allowed them to judge people. It allowed them to say, you're not as close to God as I am because you're not holding these standards like I'm holding. And so Jesus goes directly to the heart. Look at what happens, verse 6, Luke 6, 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. That's all we know. We know it was his right hand. We know it was withered. But the right hand is symbolic in Scripture. If you go through and you study Scripture, right, John? I mean, the right hand is symbolic. It's, it's a symbol of strength and might and power. And there's verses of Scripture that speak about that. 
There's verses of scripture that speak about the right hand of God, the mighty hand of God. Exodus 15, 6 says, thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Psalm 16, 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You even go to 1 Peter, right? 1 Peter 3, 22, it talks about when Jesus ascends into heaven. What does the Bible say? Through the resurrection of Christ, he has gone into heaven where? At the right hand of the Father. So here is a man whose right hand is paralyzed. Think about this, without strength, without might, without power, without authority, he is crippled and there's nothing he can do about it. Let's look at ourselves in this. He has a hopeless situation. It's hopeless. This is what I walk around with. And I have nothing in me to change this, right? It's a picture of us. This is what I have. This is a, these are the wounds that I have. These are the baggage that I have. And there's nothing. It's a hopeless situation because there's nothing I can do to fix it. And trust me, I've tried. I wonder if the man tried to hide it or walk around with it in his pocket. Did they have pockets? They have robes. I don't know if he had whatever. Did, did he try to do something to fix the situation like we do? Jesus does an amazing miracle here. In a hopeless situation, in a hopeless condition, notice where this man is found. He's found in the house of God. Look at verse 6. Now, it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. This verse tells us that what this man did on the particular day was what he always did when it was the Lord's day. He went to be with God's people. In his state of being crippled... In his state of need, you don't find him at home. You don't find him trying to fix it. What does he do? He goes to the synagogue. But I wonder, was he expecting for something to happen that day? Like us. I wonder when he got up that morning and he was going and he heard about Jesus teaching. I don't know if this was the first time he heard Jesus or many times. We don't know. We know that this was a regular routine. You see that in the original language. That it wasn't just this day that this guy went to be healed. That this was his pattern. He went to the synagogue to worship, to be with God's people. But I wonder, as he was traveling that day, was his mind even thinking that, man, something amazing might happen? I wonder how many times we walk in and go, something amazing might happen in my life today. I may encounter Jesus in a way that I've never encountered him. I may be changed in a way that I've never been changed. Or no, I'm just going to go because that's what I do. But no, this man came with a hopeless situation and God did a miracle. Even though he was suffering, he still went. I commend so many people. I see it. I see in the hallways. You see people walking in and you see it upon their shoulders. Five families who have lost loved ones. Tragedies. You see it. We carry it. But I look at them and I say, God bless you. You're here. You're here. You're still walking. You're still taking steps to the Lord. You're still seeking to be with God's people. You're still raising your hand and worshiping the God who is sitting upon his throne, even though your life is in chaos. God bless you. He has to honor that. We see it in this man. He's crippled. I would have probably stayed at home. And he came and Christ changes him. Notice this, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. That phrase right there is in the imperfect tense. I am not a Greek scholar. I barely passed, but I passed. All right. So that original language, it didn't help when I told my Greek professor, you do realize this has already been translated. Don't ever say that to a Greek professor in <laughs> seminary. It doesn't help your cause. And I did that, but I passed. Thank you, Dr. Black. Luke 6, 7 says this. 
The scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, imperfect tense, a past completed action with continuing results. They are all up in their stuff. Oh, this Jesus now has a following. This Jesus now has crowds. Oh, this is going to affect my authority in which I stand. What's this Jesus up to? And you see this play out. We're getting ready to go into Easter, and we're going to jump ahead when we get to Easter and spend some time just at that time of Easter. But it's happening now all the way back in Luke 4. You see this happening where they're starting to go, okay, what's going on here? Who is this man? He's healing. He's teaching. And the Bible says that they might find an accusation against him. How sad is that, that as they're looking and pondering this man and hearing his words being taught and watching the miracles being done, that their hearts aren't saying, well, maybe, well, maybe this is the Savior. But the scripture says the opposite. The scripture says in their hearts, not are they pondering, maybe this is a Savior, but how do we get rid of this guy? Look at verse 7. They watched him closely. Verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. That is an unfair fight. He knew their thoughts. You think about that. He knows everything that is going on in this building right now. That's scary. There's nothing hid from the Lord. And what he leads us to, he has promised to lead us through. But if you're anything like me, you jump ship, right? You get to a point where, oh, this is scary. This is out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go back over here. And the Lord says, I'm waiting for you here. And I'm not going to tell you what that step is. I'm asking you to do this step. And you see this playing out, right? The Bible says he knew their thoughts. Next part of verse 8. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. He simply says, come to me. Bring your stuff to me. Bring your baggage to me. And the Bible says he arose and stood. There's no question asked. There's no different. There's no conversation or discussion. This man, think about the faith that this required. Think about the humility that this required. The Bible doesn't say how many people were there, but this is a good amount of time into Jesus's ministry. So it's safe to say that there is a crowd. And not only is there a crowd, there are religious leaders walking around, looking down at everybody. And Jesus says, bring your crippled hand up front in front of everybody. Bring it. I just wanted to say bring it. That's pretty cool. I wanted to say bring bring it. I don't think Jesus said it like that. Like, I don't think he flinched, but I, I see it like that. Like, bring it. Bring it up here. And he brought it. He arose and he stood. With his crippled hand exposed in front of everybody. He was vulnerable. Let's be real, that's hard. We walk into this place, we don't, we don't want nobody to see where we're crippled. And we'll do everything we can to hide it. And we have a Savior that stands there with open arms saying, you going to keep carrying that? How you doing with that? Why don't you place it in my hands and see what happens? The Bible says, by faith. I believe by faith. Four words, and he did so. That's what Luke says. And he did so. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. What do you find here? Before this man could be healed, he had to reveal his need for healing. He had to acknowledge, yes, I can't do this. He had to humble himself, right? I mean, isn't that what Jesus said he came to do in Isaiah 61? To set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to release you of the bondage that you are carrying. 
the baggage that you're carrying, the areas that you are crippled. I've come not for the religious leaders. I've come to save sinners. And I've come for you to bring your stuff to me, acknowledge that you can't do it, and surrender yourself before my feet. And let's be real. It's the hardest thing for us to do. It's the hardest thing for me to do. I remember years ago, and I shared this at a funeral service last week, sitting in a service and hearing a pastor. I just lost a good friend of mine, 27 years old, grew up with him, Virginia Beach police officer, Frankie, as a matter of fact. You know what I'm talking about. Married, had two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, two boys. While we were out being knuckleheads in college, this kid was walking with Jesus and in Bible studies. And he died in a car wreck. And I remember sitting in a service a couple weeks later and hearing a pastor say, God never gives you more than you can handle. I remember sitting there just crying, thinking, well, maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Maybe I don't, I'm not godly enough. I mean, maybe I only have a portion of Jesus and not all, because I can't handle this. And I remember being so troubled by that statement. I remember being so troubled. I would go to bed and think to myself, well, is that true? And I went to my dad. I'm so thankful for a godly dad. I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, can we just open the Bible? Can we just, and you know what? There is nothing in the Bible that says that. You won't find it. You know what you find? The exact opposite. You find that God puts us in places so that we will come to the recognition that, God, I cannot do this. And if you're anything like me, you fight it, right? You fight it. Well, I'm going to try to do this, and I'm going to try to manipulate this, and I'm going to try to get this done, and I'm going to try to fix the whole thing. And we find ourselves in chaos with Jesus standing there like this man saying, hey, I'm right here. Complete surrender, consistent surrender. And in the hands of a Savior, a miracle is done. Let me tell you something. I don't know what you walked in with. I really don't. But it's bigger than you. I'll straight up tell you that. And you can walk out of this place and you can fight it. First and foremost, if you don't know the Lord, there ain't no hope in these situations. When you come to Christ and place your faith in Christ and repent of your sins and call upon a Savior, guess what? There is nothing that is hopeless. There is nothing that is hopeless. You rest in the God of hope with joy and peace. Can I get an amen? Amen? He fills you, not happiness. Happiness depends upon your happenings. If your happenings are good, you're good. If your happenings are bad, they're bad. Joy is consistent. When Jesus says, my joy, I desire for you to have my joy, and that my joy may what? May remain It's not a a thermometer. It's not gauging where we're at. It's a thermostat. It's regulating our condition regardless of what we're going through, regardless of the storm, regardless how dark it may be. It's the God of hope that fills us with joy, but it requires us to be on our face saying, Lord, here it is. Here it is. I hand it to you. I hand it to you at 8 o'clock. Guess what? I grabbed it again at 8.15, Lord. Sorry. Here it is. Shouldn't have sent that text and thought that about my sister. You saw my mind. Forgive me. And so I come back and I surrender. And at 9.30, when the dude on the interstate ticks me off and I'm selfish and my justice kicks in, Lord, I repent. 
and I surrender. And at 12 o'clock, when the enemy reminds me of my crippled hand over and over and over again, may I be in a place of power, a place that's overwhelming, but a place of power where I say, Lord, here it is. Here it is. I'm not carrying it. I've carried it for far too long. And you've told me those who are weary, those who are weary, those who are heavy laden, may you come to me and may you find, say it with me, may you find rest. It requires us running like this man standing and just saying, here we go. I don't know where it's going to lead me. I'm going to show up on a Saturday night service for a prayer event. I might be preaching. Here we go. I'm just kidding. I'm talking about y'all showing up. Might be preaching. That fell flat. You get it? It's funny, though, actually. No? Not funny? I think the greatest encouragement I ever received was... One of my spiritual mentors in seminary said, you know, he said, Heath, we make our Christian walk so difficult. And I said, well, it is difficult. It's hard. He said, yeah, but we like to live out here. We like to live out here. How's this going to play out and what does this mean and where is this going? And we try to figure out all this and we miss here. And I said, what do you mean we miss here? He said, it's just Jesus. You have a savior. This ain't a religion. This is walking hand in hand with the God of this universe. This is a relationship. He desires it. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. When you wake up in the morning, your mind goes to him rather than you. That's big. When you come to a situation and rather just responding and figuring it out and saying, Lord, no, I'm going to spend time with you because I desire what you want me to do, not what I want to do. That's big. Stay here. Reading God's word, looking upon God's word, meditating upon God, talking to the Lord. Stay here. And the promise is what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and say it with me. And all these things, all these things that we get called up to and that we run to and that bind us, and let's be real, that cripple us. When Jesus is standing in the midst of the crowd going, just bring it to me. Every head bowed and every eye. Did you walk in with anticipation? Did you walk in with hope? I ask you this morning. Did you walk in expecting God to do something in your life? I ask you this morning. What is it? He sees it, by the way. He knows it, by the way. First and foremost, I ask you, do you know him? Listen, these are eternal things. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And the wages of sin is death. Let's be real. It's what it says, spiritual death. But don't miss the second part of that verse, but the gift of God. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. Is eternal life found one place in Jesus Christ our Lord? The Bible tells us, but God demonstrated his love toward us in our sinful state that Christ came. That's what we read here, that he came in history. These aren't fairy tales. Secular writings confirm it that this Jesus came, did amazing things, and he died, and he rose again. Let me tell you, first and foremost, nothing else matters. If that isn't settled in your heart, I say it straight up. None of this matters. If that isn't settled in your heart. And that's individual, that's personal, that's you and the Lord. You'll stand before the Lord alone. Your wife won't be there. Your mom won't be there. You'll be standing before the Lord alone. 
I shudder at the thought of standing before the throne of God exposed in my gunk. The Bible says we don't have to. We have a substitute, a Savior who came and did what we can't, lived a life of perfection, sinlessness, and he died in our place. And he wants to live in our hearts and lead us in our lives. But if you're anything like me, you miss it, right? You get caught up in this and caught up in that, and there's a Savior standing in a crowded room with his arms out. Saying, just bring it to me. You've tried what you can do. Won't you come at my feet and see what I can do? We're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. And listen, I'm going to go old school with you. I grew up going to steps and praying at an altar. We got steps up here. They're not the most comfortable things in the world, but we got steps up here. Maybe the Lord's just leading you to come up here. I'm just going to pray. That's uncomfortable. Guess what? It was uncomfortable for this guy to stand up in a room. There's no power in stairs. I get that. But it's a step of saying, Lord, I'm responding to what you're doing. Man, these steps are, if you want to come and pray, we've got our spiritual response team here. Only you know what God's doing in your heart. Is there hope there for what you're dealing with? Is there hope? That hope's in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are, if you would. Stand with me. Dear Lord, we come before you. Lord, we're humbled in the fact that we can do that. And we know it's because of Christ. We know that, Lord. We know it's because of Jesus who came and did what we can. Thank you, Lord, that you came into your own creation, seeking us, pursuing us. Forgive us when we make it about anything that's not about you. And in the place where we are, Lord, you know every person in this room, you've orchestrated their lives and their good decisions and their bad decisions. You're sovereign over those things. And you desire for us to put it in your hands, but we run so fast into so many other places. May we just pause and be still and find our hope in the one who provides it. We praise you because you are worthy to be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.